Um, so I began my pat and my back patio to just focus in. As early as sun was even up, and um, so I would read the Bible, and then I would pray, and then I had this little timer on my phone that I would set for seven minutes. I figured that seven minutes isn't too long, but short that it just seemed to work. So I hit the timer on my, and I would just sit there, and I would nothing, silence, and I was like, okay, God, you're gonna speak to me. I know you are. So. Um, I tried to research on, you know, that. So I'm just sitting there, I'm just quiet. And all I can hear is nature. That's, you know, that's it. You know, so uh, nothing. Nothing. Day after day, day after day, I'm at this and nothing. So I said, well, maybe today's going to be the day. Nothing. Today, nothing. Over and over. So I finally got to the point where I'm like, well, maybe he's just not going to speak to me. He speaks to other people, but he's not going to speak to me. And you hear that all the time. God said to me, and I'm like, that never happens to me. He just doesn't ever speak to me. I don't ever hear. Thus say it, you know, here I come. It's just nothing. Just nature. So, um, I'm going to leave that right where it was. But an incredible miracle happened one morning, August 26th, in the middle of that, where I didn't expect it to be God, but it was God. And um, so, I'm going to come back and pick up where all of that, after I give you what he taught me, through all the anguish that came on. Um, one of the things that in my research, when you're hungry and you're in, in survival mode, everything becomes real. Everything is alive. Everything is, I don't know how to put it, um, you're absorbing as much as you can. It's like you just, whatever, you're looking for a crack in the wall to get out, you know? So you're, you're just starving for hope. So my pursuit was, God, what do you got? Obviously there's something breakdown, you know, I'm... I'm Mature enough in, in the Lord to go, okay, you don't exist. I'm not in that mode. Um, but uh, so I, I was in this pursuit. And in that pursuit, I, I began to uh, uh, do some research on how other people were hearing and how they were having breakthrough. So I, 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 there's a couple guys that I, that I started to follow. And it was, is it this? That's, I'm sorry. I'm tr- You good to go? Okay, fantastic. Thank you. So uh, in this pursuit, I uh, I heard a story about Job. And Job, I always thought, was perfect in all his ways. And I found out that he really wasn't. <laughs> and uh, he did have a flaw. Um, and through that, um, Satan, when he went after Job, he went after Job in a courtroom setting. He went after Job legally. And that triggered something in me that said, okay, well, maybe there's something to this. So um, in that courtroom, there's two settings. One is the accuser, right? And that's where that aspect became so alive in my life that someone is accusing me of something, and I've broken down access that I won't, that I can't get over. I can't get past this. So I had to start approaching God in the courtroom setting. And uh, if we can go to Job 9, uh, 15. Is in Psalms because we were reading all the Psalms this morning. That's right. Through, excuse me, though I am in right, there's a key word here, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. Those are legal words. That was an interesting thing to me that kind of stood out that I have to approach God in a legal manner, in a legal room, in a legal setting because we lost domain of this earth legally. So that was an interesting thing that stood out to me. So when, when I ended up reflecting on what was going on, what was going on in my life, I ended up, I found myself begging God for things. Oh, God, please, can you just fix this problem? 
you know, whining about all the stuff I did, beating myself up about all this stuff, when in fact he's like, you know, we've already fixed this. You need to step up. So whining about it wasn't really doing any good. I had to come at this in a legal setting. So if we can go on to uh, Job 33, chapter 33, Elihu was the youngest of the group that was approaching Job. And in the custom, which was when you're the youngest, you don't speak until till it's your turn. So he waited. He ended up being the wisest of them. But I thought that was an interesting piece. He stayed quiet the whole part. And in 9, if you go down to 9, you'll see, we finally get to see what Job's flaw was. Because you say... This is Elihu speaking to Job. Job, you say I am pure without transgression. I am clean and there is no iniquity in me. Well, that becomes pretty clear that Job's got an issue. He really does. And he didn't think so, but that became, he had to get over this. So that flaw becomes revealed. And again, in 34 down in 5, it says he begins to approach God as the accuser, that God is doing this to me. But if we go back to verse chapter 1, we find out Satan approached God and accused Satan, accused Job of this. So it wasn't God doing this. We always see, every time my chef is in a horrific ordeal with his wife, brain tumors, tumors on her sciatic nerve, actually clipped her sciatic nerve, so he's like, and he's a new Christian, and he's like, what is going on? Why is God doing this? And that was in his study. I was like, why is it God's fault? Who said God did this? This is not God's kingdom. He hasn't laid claim on this. Satan is the accuser. So we have to remember, it's easy to blame God. It's always easy to blame the one that, you know what I'm saying? It, it, so let's really put the fault where the fault is. And again, it goes back to that legal setting. How do we approach God in that courtroom where he's our advocate? So it becomes a, it becomes a really interesting um, study on that. Finally, if you go to Job 38, this is really cool. You zip down there to 38. This is when God kind of got me and humbled me. So the, again, everybody else has spoken. It's God's turn, right? What does God say? Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? <laughs> I mean, that to me was like, who do you think you are, right? I mean, when you, you know, your little 10-year-old, you know, Jude's, we've been going, who do you think you are? I brought you into this world. I've been bringing you up. I changed your diapers. I fed you. You puked on me. Who do you think you are talking to me like this? That's kind of how he's approaching it. Am I right? Dress yourself for act. He said, dress yourself. Prepare yourself. This is, this is the finger at me. When I'm reading this, I'm going, whoa. Be ready. Stand up and take this like a man is basically what God's saying to Job. I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the faith? Man, he starts, you can read this on. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Who, I mean, it's hilarious when we start putting ourselves in a position when we see God for really who he is and what he's done because it, it really humbles us. And we don't see the healing and we don't see the breakthrough until we're willing to kneel. Um, so I just thought this was a, a very interesting point that, you know, he waited till the end. God was quiet. And then he said, okay, let me tell you how it is. Let me tell you how it really is. So then you can go on and you know the ending of Job. He ends up getting restored. So again, this is God's faithfulness all the way through. But sometimes we need a little smackdown, you know. And um, I just thought that was a, a really interesting uh, point that he really put, put Job through the ringer allowed Job to be put through the ringer. But he brought that flaw out in Job and then restored him back multiple, multiple times over. So, But he used Satan, allowed Satan to have that happen. 
So there's always that hope in the end. Um, it's getting there that sometimes is a trial, but that trial is always worth it. The second point that, uh, that impacted me is 1 Corinthians 1.8, where Paul talks about despair. We always think of the Apostle Paul as such a perfect guy and everything that he did. But if we go back into part of what First um, Corinthians one eight talks about, he says, Who will sustain you to the end? Guiltless in the day of our... Oh, I'm going too far. I'm going to back up. Bear. Sorry, I lost my verse. Hmm. I have the wrong verse. I have too many other papers that I wrote before are on the table inside, so I must have wrote that down wrong. I'm sorry. But there's... Uh, Paul talks about where he was destitute and facing death, and thought he was going to die. Is it seconds? Thank you. Let me go there. I really want to read it. It was impactful to me. Hopefully it will be impactful to you. Second Corinthians one eight. Thank you, my friend. We do not want to... Yeah. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, for the afflictions we experience in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. They were just giving up and going to die. So it, when we just read this stuff, but you can put yourself in the setting, we realize I mean, it just wanted to die. I, just, I would just, just give up and die because I am in so much despair. Even Apostle Paul was. But then when he goes on, he says, you can read on there, but everything is yes and amen in Christ. So and then he goes back to, whether I die or live, I gain. That's a whole different setting. But I just thought um, that is really where each one of us have been at some point in our life is despair. What, in whatever setting that is, it's different for all of us. Um, if you take back, I just want to do a quick little side note. If you go back to the legal aspect and bring, there's much more to the legal part than Job, but if you just brought that in to this aspect, if you go to First uh, Kings um, four, Second Kings four, I think it was, where the um, Elijah went before Shumanite, right? The yep, and uh, the pots, the 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 incense that the oils that were, that he said that he uh, he said first bring me and make me a meal, right? Then he said, get as many pots as you can get. And they started pouring oil. Well, I was thought it was interesting. Like, why make me, you know, if, you always want to favor the woman especially and the child. I mean, women and children first, so Titanic. <laughs> so why would he say, why would Elijah say, make me the bread first? And I did a study on that, which was extremely interesting. The kingdoms have to be transferred from this kingdom to God's kingdom. So your tithes and your offerings, you're transferring from one kingdom to another kingdom. So there's a, that legal aspect is a lot to that, and I'm still studying it, but it's just incredible to, to see that in the, the, uh, the, um, in the story of the oils, when did they stop? When there were no more pots, not no more oil. The oil kept flowing. So when he, tr when he said, make me the meal first, he transferred, because they were going to die. It was it for them. That was their last meal. He took it. didn't make sense to me. But he said, I mean, had to, what if there had been more pots? Just been, she's been a pretty wealthy woman. So there's something to this. It's just very interesting to me, the legal aspect of this, that um, if we can transfer and live and operate in the kingdom, God's kingdom, that uh, so, he's so faithful and he's provided so many of the ways for us. But we always get caught in our woe is me and we've got to get out of that. Guilty as charged here. Um, the third aspect is that, that I found that was really um, impactful for, to me was 
the words, it is finished. When Christ said those words, there's so much teaching. I think um, Kevin brought a teaching on some of what everything that happened that, that day and the, in, in the three days that followed. But when Christ said, it is finished, it wasn't, well, I guess it was like, in my, my thinking was, well, what did he finish? It is finished. What is it? You know, and uh, so I had to kind of dig into that a little bit, and it was incredibly revealing to me again of what he actually did. Uh, of course, he, um, you know, reconciliation, and um, he, he restored back the sinful man, but there was so much more to this. Um, we have to pick up where it is finished. And we have an obligation, actually, and we're going to be judged on that. But it is finished, man, it's the beginning for us. And everything is prepared. Now, it's not easy. I mean, life is not easy. We're faced with all sorts. But it is simple. It is finished. And when I began to understand what happens after it is finished, just... So much has been prepared for us to walk in authority, to walk in his high calling. Um, it's really, really exciting. i got to stick to my notes. I'm going to go off. Um, the point of departure I have to go back to because um, it is finished, started in the garden when we lost that. We gave up that authority. Again, that was in a legal setting. Um, if, if, uh, if, if Sean owned a home and I leased from him, right, rented from him, he can't come into that home without my authority, without my approval. He owns the home. God owns this earth. We had access to it. We gave that up to Satan. Now, for God to come back into this, we have to give him that permission. We have to give him that access. So it's just interesting, the kingdoms and the legality pieces that, that are, are in place uh, Adam and Eve lived in the seventh day. They lived in the seventh day. We have the access to live in the seventh day. Mortality is going to be overtaken. I mean, immortality will be overtaken by mortality. And uh, there's, uh, there's a lot to that. And it's, uh, it's very, very incredible, the teaching. The Holy Spirit is um, revealing a lot of this to us if we'll dig in and, um, and, um, and consume it. Um, my calling, Stephen um, was, you all know the story of Stephen and what happened. Uh, he was stoned. There's, if you read it, there's a lot above that happened prior to his stoning. But what was interesting to me is I'm in the food business and I serve people food. You know, it's that kind of a setting. So um, how Stephen became first known in the Bible was the disciples were too busy to feed people. It's not that they were too good. They were just too busy. They had their calling. That wasn't their calling. Well, Stephen and six others said, you know, they were appointed to feed those people. So their calling was to serve food because you can read through of what happened. You know, widows weren't being taken care of. There was all this commotion going on in the, in the early church, just like it goes on in our church everywhere. But, uh, so they appointed someone to take care of serving these people. Stephen was one of them. And then you fast forward to what happened to Stephen and what a calling that was. He looks into heaven and sees all of this going on. As soon as he begins to speak it, they stone him because they don't even want to hear it. But uh, I just thought, you know, that what a hero in the Bible started out serving food. I'm like, how awesome is that? You know? So I began to understand my own calling and um, that, you know, my humble little serving little sandwiches is it's my calling and I don't want to miss that because that's what you know if I was to go off and be a preacher which I'm so bad at but if I were to go off and be a preacher and I get to stand before the judge and go what are you doing I called you to be serve sandwiches you know that was my calling there were people there that are going to millions of people would have been impacted if you had stayed on course so you know, we just don't know the the long term effect of of our lives, if we stay in our calling, if we find that calling, and uh, I just think it's—I think it's—I um, think it's so cool. You know, I went through months of anguish to realize that, but I'm just thankful that I did actually realize that. Um, but coming to the courtrooms of heaven is—is 
it, it was, it's different, and I'm still learning this. So I encourage you to really dig into that uh, and, um, and see the, the access that happened. So I'm going to um, give you a little understanding of what happened when I did this. So it was October um, 25th, 4 o'clock in the morning. I get up pretty early when I'm here, and because I, you know, I, what else? I'm just here. There's no kids. And my wife's one. So I go to work. Um, so I, I get up that morning. I was really frustrated. Uh, I've been working since September 7th, the day after my wife's birthday, week after week, 17, 18-hour days, just right at it, trying to fix things. And um, I got pretty frustrated one day. I go, I just can't keep doing this. There has to be an answer. Fly up 750 miles, leave my family, and just beat my head against the wall all day long. So I said, we're making changes, we're making growth, but I can't sustain it alone. So I just said, God, what are you... So I'm like, wait a minute, Keith, you've been studying this whole thing about the, the legality piece. Go after it. So I did. So it's 4 o'clock in the morning. I get up, I start praying. Then I'm like, all right, I feel guilty. I get on my knees. So not to be legalistic, but I'm like, I'm in the legal setting, so I'm going to humble myself. So I, I climb out of bed, and I'm, uh, and I'm going after it. I'm like, Lord, I am in the courtroom right now. I want access. I demand for you to hear me in a hearing, hearing setting. So I go after it pretty good. Um, by 10.28 that morning, I get a call uh, from a friend of mine who I've known for 20-something years who actually worked for me way back in the day, uh, Norm. And he said, I've been struggling with this, but do you have any opens for a manager? If he could have seen my face, it was yes and amen. <laughs> and then the realization came that not only is that he... He's perfect for it. It was the right person at the right time. Um, I had put a manager in there back in January, and we lost tens of thousands of dollars. Nobody liked him, and it was a disaster. So that was my way, and then we let God do it his way. And uh, no, this was his first week, and we broke records in the first four days. So I'm so incredibly grateful that God did all this, and... Um, and uh, so my calling is my calling, and I embrace it, and I am so incredibly grateful for it. Uh, ben, are you back there? Can you come hand out those pennies? Uh, these are your pennies. I, I didn't have enough, so we had to snag some of yours, if that's all right. <laughs> so uh, we can give them all back. I'm sure they will. Uh, so now I'm going to take you back to August 26 in my experience when I heard God in a way that I never thought I would, um, in a very strange way. But uh, the pennies are to give you something to relate to. Um, you can keep them or you can throw them back in the basket, whatever you prefer. Um, I'm going to, I'll give a dollar to Kathy to cover the... <laughs> There you go. Um, before I do this, I I have to give you an example, and I know Sean so well that uh, I'm going to use him as an example if I could, Sean. Uh, It's August 26th. I'm in my seven-minute window. Three and a half minutes go by. Exactly. That's bizarre. All right, open your eyes. Open your eyes, I'm sorry. So that's what happens to me. And of course, when you're all alone in the back porch and the sun is just cracking over the horizon... It's this. What is that? You know what I mean? You weren't expecting me. I, mean, I, I should have told you not to look my window. But it's like, it's like all, you know, something's in my face, but my eyes are closed. And I'm listening. I'm intently. Every day I was really being so focused to hear from God. When I open my eyes, there's a hummingbird that close to my face. So, whatever, it's like a fly. You know what I mean? It's, geez, it's right in my face. 
He goes about another foot and a half back and sits right there. And you know how they were. They don't fly. They, they, I mean, they fly, but they hover. So what's going on? I hadn't seen a hummingbird in our property. It's been a year and a half. How long have we lived there? A year and a half. I haven't seen a hummingbird yet. Um, whatever. Just a hummingbird. So I don't think much of it. Well, about five minutes goes by. And I happened to look at my clock just because it was going. Like, well, how much more time do I have to sit here kind of thing? And it's three and a half minutes. Um, so I, I was... Uh, compelled to do a little study on hummingbirds. Wow, this is pretty cool. So hold your penny. Ready? I'm a, I call this the hummingbird experience, but this is the, the um, um, study that I did, the, the interesting piece. And I just copied and pasted this, although I transferred it from like kilometers and grams into, you know. So. Probably best known characteristics of the hummingbird are his extremely rapid wing beat. 50 to 80 beats per second. Makes sense? And it's amazing abil ability to maneuver. It can hover, it can fly backwards and sideways, and it can fly at speeds of more than 55 miles an hour. In a courtship dive, it can reach 60 miles an hour, swooping down and back again in an in a U shaped dive. All this work, of course, uses an enormous amount of energy. In an article, the Vancouver Sun, May 3, 1991, noted that to keep up their blistering lifestyle, hummingbirds of both sexes burn up huge amounts of calories. Make sure you listen to this one. The equivalent for humans would be 1,300 hamburgers a day. 16 gallons of water, which is used mainly for cooling purposes, that you'll read in a second. This is hilarious. The bird expert John Morton of Wild Birds Unlimited in Vancouver said in the same article, "We were to, if we were to operate at their energy level, our hearts would beat at 1,260 beats per minute. Our body temperature would rise to 750 degrees. And we would burst into flames. They can live up to 12 years, which is amazing at that pace." Um, at rest, a hummingbird takes an average of 250 breaths per minute. Their, their breathing pace will increase when they are in flight, obviously. Now, this is the uh, any piece. The average ruby-throated hummingbird weighs 3 grams. The penny you have in your hand weighs, well, if, it has, if it's the, the new one, it's 3.11. If the other one is 2.85. So we'll, I don't think we're going to tell the difference between one-tenth of a gram. Uh, weighs, that's what the ruby weighs, that penny. I don't even know how it exists. It's amazing. So, in comparison to the penny, it would take more than 150 to get a pound. Despite their small size, hummingbirds are one of the most aggressive bird species. They will regularly attack and defend against jays, crows, and hawks. Some pretty mean birds to infringe on their that will infringe on their territory. Backyard birders often have one dominant hummingbird that will guard all the feeders chasing all the intruders away. This is another piece in uh, two or three paragraphs. will be quick. The bird of uh, the impossible, it's called. This tiny, teeny bird that even though its wings are so small that flying should be aerodynamically, aerodynamically impossible, gifting us with the concept that all difficulties, these are some of the comparisons, to, uh, can be overcome. We have the strength and power to withstand everything is met along path the, life, the uh, path of life. The fluttering wings of hummingbird move in a pattern of an infinity symbol. How interesting is that? Further solidifying their symbolism of eternity continuing. Um, it's, it seems tireless, always actively seeking the sweetest nectar, hovering over flowers, drinking them, reminding us to savor each moment, each instant, reminding us to delight ourselves with the beauty of creation, appreciating being alive, which is the source of our joy and our happiness found within. The hummingbird teaches us the medicinal properties of plants that work within flowers, which there's quite a bit in all that. Some of the migration pieces are pretty amazing. 
amazing that um, uh, hummingbirds are known to wing their way 500 miles across the Gulf of Mexico. Um, so it teaches us courage. Uh, it teaches us courage to fight in a way that there, uh, where no one gets hurt, having the courage to refrain from creating new tra new trauma by communicating non-violently towards ourselves and others in an important way of healing. The only bird able to fly backwards, the hummingbird guides us back to our past, showing us that we must not dwell on it, that we need to move joyfully forward, showing us the power of discipline and willpower, the ability to do anything we wish in our lives. It teaches us fierce independence. Recovering lost parts of, our life, of ourselves enables us to become healthier and independent. Most, this is most important uh, to me, the hummingbird has powerful spiritual significance in the Andes and South America. The hummingbird symbol is resurrection. It seems to die on cold nights, come back to life again on sunrise. Uh, sunrise is when that hummingbird hit my face. So to you, I know it's not, but I hope that my story, in a sense, is hope that wherever you're at, there's a hummingbird for you. God does hear you in your despair. When you're at the, like Paul, facing death, that just, I just want to die. Let's just get this over with. But your will be done. Um, that he is moved in ways I couldn't imagine in my life, just in the recent days and weeks, that I didn't think was possible. That I thought... It was going to be it. I had made a big mistake, um, big, unrecoverable mistake. He is so faithful that um, I have a lot to be grateful for this week because he really, um, he was with me the whole way, even when I was beating him up and calling him names. <laughs> Why are you doing this to me? And begging and whining and crying. And I went after this in the legal setting. It really made a difference. Because if you're going to street fight, there's no rules. If you have a disagreement or a disgruntlement with somebody, well, I'm going to fight you. You know, the whole bar fight scene, you get dragged out. Let's go out. There's no, there's no. I mean, there's no rules. But you take someone in a courtroom. There's rules. You're going to abide by those rules. What the judge says is going to come down. You can scream and holler all you want, but they're going to drag you out in cuffs. So. The accuser is out there, and he is prowling. It's every day. He doesn't. He doesn't cease. And it seems like as soon as you take a breath and exhale, he's there. We go after it in a legal setting. God said it is finished. We have access to the throne. So um, I thought that we could pray in that way, and I will lead that prayer. Um, I did, the only thing that I had was Chelsea for me, and I hope every one of you will have, I'm sure has something, but um, Ayla, Alea, uh, Belinda uh, brought to my attention before, and so uh, I'm going to go and pray under that setting and then uh, close. Is that all right? Yeah, sure, you can see. Father, thank you for today. Um, thank you that you're always faithful in our lives. And I pray that you would remind us that you are the author of everything good. And it's always yes and amen. So Lord, teach us as we move forward today how we can gain access to your kingdom. Operate in it, live in it for ourselves for those around us, that we can further your kingdom, that heaven will be full because of what we've done. So, Father, right now I come before you, before the throne in a courtroom setting. Father, we call upon the advocate Christ who has done it all for us, that he is our defender. And we rebuke the devourer. 
we rebuke all that has come against anyone in this room. That whoever is lifting up what their appeal and their request is, that you would hear that request. That it is done. We aren't going to whine about it. We aren't going to complain about it. We are going to stand on it. That you are going to rule on our behalf. We are your ambassadors. We are your ambassadors. We will be faithful to you. You are always faithful for us. So Lord, we lift up Alea right now for healing. We expect healing in her life. Father, the brain, all of that activity will be made whole. Carrie is an example that healing is real. It exists. It is real to him. Father, make it real to all of us. That you would go forth. You will do what you have set out to do. We will not stand in the way. We will be faithful. Father, I thank you again for today. I thank you again for this opportunity. I pray that you would be forever stirring in the hearts. I thank you. In your most precious name we pray. Amen. Beautiful. That's awesome. Amen. Just sit down just for a moment. Let me just explain the courtroom of heaven. There's laws in this legal land and there's laws in God's kingdom in his courtroom. So if you're concerned about how you go legally before him, he's going to uphold his word. He's bound by his word. So everything that transpires in your life, things that you're contending for, things that you're believing for, bring his word before him. And he will fulfill, he'll uphold his word. Amen. Written laws in the land, case law in the land. Written word in the heavenly courts, case law in the written in the heavenly courts. The testimonies even if this world, this earth, be removed from under my feet, his word will stand. That's the legal ground. Amen? That was awesome, Keith. Because I just tried to encourage all of us, as it was with Keith, only Keith can tell his story. So it isn't difficult for any of us when the Lord asks us to be a testimony. If you look at your life, if you're challenged with faithfulness, Places where God has always been there, joy, all the things. All you have to do is just tell the story, and that's what reaches into our lives because it's active and it's alive. It's your experience. It's inside of you. Any one of you could stand here and tell your story. And the Holy Spirit would quicken that story and make it alive for then we could relate to it. Could you not relate to what Keith was saying? When you're down to the... <laughs> Hardly, hardly even able to take on water. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I did such a good job at your uh, blanket that I deserved a week off. Amen. You just you told me last week not to rush because if I rush, I do it too fast and it don't come out right. So I took a week off, but I'll get back to it. But the Lord upstairs is letting me this making things for people and uh, there are other things I do besides blankets but you already know that everybody saw that jacket that I made yes. for Kenny but don't ask me how I did it <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh, the Lord upstairs is helping me with a lot of things and I don't know if dear Kenny's going to show up today or not but anyway I love the world Hallelujah. Yes. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Yes. You know, every, every time there's a word, I find it, yeah, I'm glad I was here to hear it. And I'm so grateful, things that you're thankful for, that it will be online. Because I have to tell you, I spent the day with a friend yesterday who's having a lot of hard times. And she said it not once, but twice. She said, God does not want me to be happy. And I said, that's not true. Maybe you just need to approach him differently. Mm -hmm. You know, I, have, I was raised 
to pray before meals, and I was noticing that I hadn't done that in a long time. I said, so, you know, are you doing things like that? Are you praying in the morning to start your day? Are you praying for your meals and everything else? And I did tell her, you know, she goes, are you going to church Sunday? And I said, yes. I said, my goal is to be there every Sunday. And um, you can too. And she said, well, with the weather. And I said, well, you can worship him from home. But I really wish she was here today, so I am going to send her the link and have her listen to Keith's thing, um, word. And I do want to say, Keith, as a former employee at Cravens, I'm glad it's going to be okay. But if you ever have a loss, I will work for you for free because I love that place. Thank you. That's awesome. Yes, Jackie. A little bit louder. again, Keith, uh, we all have low points in our lives. You live long enough, you're going to have low points. But I can attest, my testimony is at the lowest points in my life, God was there. The very first job that I was uh, let go from, it was a ministry. We call it the left hand of fellowship. And uh, I, you know, I, I, I'd, ne- I'd never experienced losing a position like that. I was a vice president at a ministry, and I, I just, and you know, we were walking at night, you know, my wife and I, and praying, and just kind of coming up with, well, what's what's next? The following Monday, I get two calls from other organizations that want me to join them. You know, and. Uh, Gee, maybe I should have taken the one in Phoenix, but uh, instead I went back to Wheaton, Illinois, which is where uh, I I spent some time. And then there was another time about uh, 10 years later after that when I got the left hand of fellowship at another ministry. Leaders came to me and they say, 
the people that were supporting you are not supporting you anymore. So again, it was a very low point. We had just bought a house. We had just bought a house in suburban Chicago, and those houses aren't cheap. And we just didn't, we had just moved into the house about a week before. And we just didn't know what was going to happen. But a friend of mine who does the kind of marketing and branding kind of work for nonprofits that I've been doing all my life gives me a call. And he says, and again, I don't know how to, it happens, but he says, Norm, I hear you're no longer with so-and-so. I'm going to send you a check for $5,000, and I want you to begin become one of our, my associates. I couldn't believe it. I said to him, Dale, uh, I haven't done anything for you yet. That's okay. We'll work it out. And I became an associate of their uh, organization in Ohio. I didn't have to move. I could, I could work out of my home. And so at the, and these were two very low points because, you know, I, I just didn't think that I could never not succeed, you know, and, and, and do the best. But sometimes it's out of our hands. But God... God restored many folds. He restored what happened to me. And uh, not only that, but some years later, I get a call from the very first ministry that I, was le- that I left, and they want me to come back and start a whole new organization for them. And uh, so, I mean, you got these low points, but please remember, Low points lead to a higher point than you've ever been in. He doesn't bring you back to where you were. He's going to bring you up higher and better if you just believe in him and trust in him. Thank you, Lord. Did you have something? Hallelujah. As we come to a close, deacons, elders, go around, encourage Lay hands, stir up the gifts, don't let go of what we received last week, allowing the very things of that outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If anybody needs prayer, you want an encouraged word, an encouraging word, a prophetic word, deacons and elders, just stand up and start making yourself available. Amen? Have a special time at this Thanksgiving. Be mindful when you're breaking bread. Allow the Lord just to begin to manifest and demonstrate healing, that deliverance, the things of the tenderness of his heart that he does during that time of breaking bread. Amen? That's right. Jackie's got a dance coming, so please, by all means, we love you and we bless you. And she's, Yes, Jackie. Very heard? Lord, we bring Terry before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Make sure you love on the people next door at the food bank. Introduce yourself. Ask them their names. Ask them if you can pray for them. Amen. In Jesus' name. We love you. Bless you, Richard. It's good to see you, buddy.